In a world of podcasts about movies, sci-fi, TV, and podcasts about sci-fi, TV, and movies, two women chose to add their voices to the fray. Two sisters. One woman was willing to go to any length to explain away plot holes and bad pacing. I don't think, first of all, much like the entirety of this film, I don't think we're supposed to ask a lot of questions. The other, though, had no such sympathies. Oh, I hate it. I hate it. Together, they joined forces to highlight the good, the bad, and the truly bizarre. This is See You Next Week in Space. everyone just a quick little note on the audio of this episode there are some spots where it gets a little bit echoey we did our best to work around that we hope it's not too distracting and we hope you enjoy the episode nonetheless thank you as always for listening all right so today is a big banner day in the history of see you next week in space we have got our second guest of the history of the podcast. Um, and it is, Amy, do you want to introduce our guest? Drum roll. Drum roll somebody. Okay. She's drum rolling herself, so we're off to a good start. Um, it is the one and only Nancy Janelle, our mother. Woo-hoo, hello. Hey. Hello to my two favorite girls. It's and very also. Fun. Mom, you're being very rude to our six listeners. Please say hello to them as well. Hello to all six listeners. And actually, it might only be five because, well, this isn't live, so I thought maybe because I wasn't thinking this is live. And she kept saying, do I have time to do this? Do I have time to do that? Yeah, we're not like going live on air. I know, I forget. Well, I'm pretending. I'm pretending because the setup makes me feel like it. I will be really be pissed off, Mom, if you don't listen to this when it actually comes out because you are one of our loyal six listeners. I am. And I'm a premiere. So by law, you are required to listen to this I, when it comes out. I will definitely listen to it, and especially because of the fact that you have a fascinating guest today. But I always listen to them, but sometimes I admit that it doesn't always sink in because I might put it on while I'm doing things. And then it just kind of feels like, oh, the kids are home. The girls are home. I hear them in the other room or I hear them chattering like they used to. Okay, we're not... to be like the height of entertainment. I don't know what you're talking about. And also, this isn't the sadness of old age podcast. We're not doing (laughs) that today. Um, Now, as you know, Mom, usually we open where I ask Amy a bit of a question that kind of is related to the thing we're talking about today. Yeah. And I often come up with these questions in the 10 to 15 minutes before we begin recording. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought today would be an appropriate question to kind of get things rolling because um, both you and Amy are wives or have been wives. And so here's my question to you. <laughs> oh, God. Boy, it's go. been a while for me. This could be a stretch. Yeah. Uh, twin beds. What uh, do we think? Is uh, this what we should be doing? Should we have been doing this 
all along? Uh, here's the deal. If they're like twin queen size beds, maybe. <laughs> right. Um, a twin twin size bed, no to the hell to the way. But but I then the problem is not the sleeping separately. It's just having a twin bed for an adult on your I, side, Amy. Both both are a little weird. But I mean, I could I could get on board with an option of a separate bed. I'm not okay. gonna lie. Uh, like, sure. You know, uh, I don't I don't n- not for like purity reasons, but just for like comfort. Yeah, just like maybe a little bit of your own space as an option. Well, sure. I would say that obviously for a young married couple, I think twin beds are a sign of trouble. <laughs> well, what I would ask is what I would ask mom, being the oldest one here. <laughs> Just barely. <laughs> I would ask, do you is the twin like the married people twin bed? A, was that a reality in no. your life, or is that like a TV thing? It was thing a TV that they did? thing. I'm trying to remember. I think you know who I think was the first TV couple to share a bed were the Bradys. From the Brady, no. well, they were whores, so that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, they're divorced <laughs> whores, right, exactly, so exactly. they can be sharing a bed a together so. on a second marriage. Yes, but no, absolute sitcom '50s, '60s. Those were Lucille Ball, um, the Leave It to Beaver. I don't think you ever even saw their fake. bedroom. Um, yeah, but it's, so you're saying that it was a fake totally thing that fake. was a TV. Yes. yes, I don't remember ever going in. I, certainly my parents never did it. And Okay, I mean, well, we Sarah, how about kids, you? Duh. I mean, may, right. Sarah, how about you? Like, you, yeah, maybe you're not married, but, like, would you want to, like, in a house with a partner of yours that you shared, would you want to have twin beds and that's, like, how you slept? Well, so here's the thing. Um, when James and I went to Germany for Christmas some years ago, I discovered that many a German hotel will take not a twin bed, but like kind of like a size between a full and a twin, like so slightly larger. They'll take two of those mattresses, put them together so they're touching, then give each person separate sheets and blankets. That's they do this. They do a they do a similar thing in Croatia where it's like one bed frame, but it is sort of two mattresses smushed together. Yeah, yeah. And that was great. (laughs) I loved it Um, because you never have to be like you stole my covers. Separate blankets is key, Um, I think. Yeah. So I have to say, I don't think I need like a bedside table in between the two. <laughs> right, um, yeah. yeah but I, that makes it really impersonal. Totally, But I yeah. do like having kind of a designated, like, this is my sleep area, and so I can, like... This is uh, my line down the middle. Right, yeah. You could not move your body right. past. Well, welcome, everyone, to see you next week in space. Uh, I am Sarah Walsh. I am here with my sister and co-host, Amy Walsh. And as we said at the top, we are also joined by our mother, Nancy Janelle. And, like, so why did I open with this twin bed thing? What does this have to do with science fiction? Are you Aliens asking like us? twin beds? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, what, so, as always, Amy, what are we talking oh, about sorry. this week that this was my opening gambit? <laughs> You're just crazy. Um, we are talking about uh, an episode of the Dick Van Dyke Show. Um, specifically, the episode is season two, episode 20. It is called It May Look Like a Walnut. 
and it originally aired on February 6th, 1963. So, Mom, that means you had just turned 11. That's when right. This came out. AKA old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people don't be doing the math. Um, so, and I loved this show and watched it in real time. And the reason you asked about Twin Beds is because our opening scene of this episode is Rob and Laura Petrie. Um, in their twin beds, separated widely by a bedside table and lamp, etc. Um, and though they did have a TV in their bedroom, which I feel did. like was well, that was pretty, pretty like fancy. That was yeah. pretty fancy to have. In but that. they always tell you don't have a TV in your bedroom for various reasons, that? like yeah, marriage know. experts. I know. Okay, well, well they're wet blankets because <laughs> it's a game changer and in a good way. Yeah, it's I I like it too. But anyway. Um, so yeah, no, it was pretty fancy and cool. They had, because that was called a portable TV. It was on, you a, could roll yeah, it, throughout. it was a, yeah. on like a little TV. You could move it around. That was called portable as opposed to most of the TVs you had were in these big console things. They were a big yeah. piece of furniture, but you would still have to obviously plug it well, in. Yeah. But you could roll it from room to room if you wanted. Yeah. Now just cable situation. No. No, there's no cable. There's like yeah, seven there's channels. there's no cable. You had oh. what, more like three, probably. Oh, okay. But Damn, very few. In the Stone Age. And you were lucky if they came in properly. But so they're up late at night. They're awake, and he's watching. No, 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 mom, oh, mom, mom, mom. Oh, sorry. We're not getting into the story. <laughs> Sorry. I, for all this supposed listening you do, you don't seem to understand the format of our program. I'm sorry, all. Sarah. I did not mean to impinge upon you. You did not look at the, the next thing on the... And so I as, can't so see that from here. I know. Well, I, the same thing is printed in front mm, of you. Mm. <laughs> okay, um, anyway, sorry. Backtrack. Anyway, the, so that is why you asked that question. So Correct. The Dick Van Dyke Show, according to your notes <laughs> that I'm reading won 15 Emmy Awards, and I'm assuming that's throughout its tenure? Correct. And it ran for five years, 1961 through 66. Yeah. Um, ooh, interesting. This episode was ranked 15th out of the best 100. Yes. Uh, of so all time. TV episodes yes. of all time. Oh, interesting. I don't know if I agree with that. Well, now, that just was rated in 97, so. Right. That's the whole thing. So, t first of all, do we think TV Guide is really, like, the sword we want to live and die by for best episodes of all time? Who's to no, say? No, although I, I do miss a TV Guide. <laughs> Why? I used to love getting the TV guide. I don't know why. I remember that they had a really exceptionally easy crossword puzzle yes, in the back, and that was did. fun. Um, but yes, you're correct. So all the way back 24 years ago in 1997, this particular episode, It May Look Like a Walnut, was ranked 15th out of the best 100 television episodes at the time. Now, of course, there had only been one golden age of television at that point, and mm -hmm. this was in it. Mm -hmm. so, I'm curious what number one was on that um, list. But. Well, get a time machine and find that old TV guide, <laughs> and you can find out. Oh, what, did you go in a time machine and find that this was the No, I went to Wikipedia, sir. Okay, well, uh, okay, where, well. Um, and then, but it still remains apparently fairly popular because then TV Guide, I assume, dot com, um, ranked the Dick Van Dyke show, so the entire series, as the 20th 
of the top 60 TV series of all time more recently in 2013. Um, and I think, like, we'll talk about this a bit later when we talk about the Danny Thomas show, which was a thing I had never heard of. Ah, make room um, for daddy. Uh, gross. Um, that was the name of the show. I don't care. It's <laughs> disgusting. I know. I'm just um, telling you. <laughs> uh, now you've made it weird. Because sure now I there's a connotation. Uh, but what I'm saying is, it's like... There, I think that there is a reason why, up until today, people know what the Dick Van Dyke Show is, um, and it, and there's a reason why it made its way to Nick at Night and all the various other syndicated ways that it's now available to people. Um, that probably the Danny Thomas Show did not. So True. that's my that's my take on it. And um, yeah. So. Mom, you might want to look at this next uh, kind of about the inspiration for the show. And do you want to tell us a little bit about like who made this and like what the kind of, yeah, the backstory, I guess you could say of it. Sure. Um, so the characters in the Dick Van Dyke show, some of them were based on real people. Carl Reiner was a star of the show. And I don't know if he was also a writer on it, um, but he had been a writer on a show that starred a comedian named Sid Caesar. His show was called Your Show of Shows. It was a variety show um, that was probably on like Saturday or Sunday night. I don't know. That It's, it's slightly before my time. Um, and So like the Stone Age? <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> it wasn't really on TV. It was like a thing that was sort of like an Etch-A-Sketch that you had It was, to, no, it was literally just a bunch of people down at the end of the street, like right. stood in a big cardboard box and then were like, <laughs> yes, this is the show we're doing. So Carl Reiner, who is, of course, the father of... What's that? Rob Reiner. Rob Reiner. Rob Reiner. Um, so he portrayed Alan Brady because this is a show that is kind of like has shows within the show um, because you've got uh, Rob Petrie is a is the head writer on what is called the Alan Brady show uh, comedy um, variety show. Supposed, you know, fantasy show made up for this that it revolves around that. And so Alan Brady is the. He's kind of a diva of the of the show and the star of it, so he's very fussy in particular, and um, and so he's supposed to be a combination of the abrasive Milton Berle and Jackie Gleason, according to Carl Reiner himself, which I right, did not because, know that. Yeah, well, because Reiner didn't want to cut himself out of a job and say that it was actually based on Sid Caesar, his oh. actual boss, mm. or at least that's my reading of it. Is like. Um, Carl, Carl Reiner repeatedly, everyone was like, oh, this is about your experience on your show of shows. And he was always like, sure, it's a bit like that. But it's but specifically because, Al, well, you know better than I, Alan is always portrayed as like a tyrant yes. and a narcissist. Yes. Um, and so Carl Reiner was very shrewd and he said, no, 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 this is not about my boss. This is about these other infamous hosts of the right, time, right. Uh, Milton Berle and Jackie Gleason. And so does that mean, and this, again, might not might have been before you would have seen it, Milton Berle and Jackie Gleason also had talk shows? 
Milton Berle, no. Milton Berle had the same, this more, a variety show was a really popular thing in those days, which was a show where you'd have guests and some would sing, some would dance, like some laughing. would. What, honey? I said, mm. like, laughing. No, more like, you know, no. the Ed Sullivan show, you was know, Laffin those kind of things. not a variety show? No, laughing is like SNL. That was, yeah, like more a of a skit show. Yeah. Oh. But Jackie Gleason, well, I get Jack, Jackie Gleason did have a variety show. The Honeymooners was, I believe, a featured part of that, which was the Honeymooners. Oh. The Honeymooners. They started on the variety show like it was a. You know how, like, um, Tracy Ullman's show or Simpsons, start, yeah. you know, the Simpsons yeah. started on there or something like that. You have uh, little, oh, had those okay. little snippets, like little shorts. Yeah, something yeah. like that. I think the Honeymooners was like built into the Jackie Gleason show as, okay. as a feature in that. Um, okay. So anyway, yeah, those types of shows were very, very popular in the 50s. So many people had them, you know. Right. And so that's the backstory when we get into today's episode of what's happened because basically the whole episode happens at their house or at the office right um and the office is all about this alan brady show that rob petrie uh is the head writer for and so all of the characters are loosely based on people that carl reiner knew um so specifically sally's character uh was loosely based on two different women writers of the era uh, Selma Diamond and Lucille Callan and Amy we actually talked about Selma Diamond because she voiced uh Die Die in that episode of the Jetsons ask, I was gonna ask I wouldn't have known that unless you just said that but as you started to say it I was like that name sounds familiar she had a very yeah. distinctive gravelly voice right and no, she was I great. believe I believe she also later appeared in that show called Night Court she sure did yeah was she also in Witch's Court <laughs> no, <laughs> Th that's our that's our that's secret pitch. <laughs> that's what yeah, we're that's gonna pitch to at some produced. point. <laughs> she um, was very funny, and she was also frequently a guest on the late night talk shows. I think that's why I knew she's of her. Comedian? She she's was a, a comedy writer. She was a writer. writer. So, but yeah. but often like uh, Lucille Callan, I've never heard of, and I don't know who that was. But Selma Diamond also had an on screen presence on talk shows and things like that because she was very entertaining she was very dry and acerbic and had this gravelly voice um and you know the character of sally as you notice in dick van dyke show is a little like that too she's also always cracking kind of sarcastic jokes and things like that and she has a distinctive voice that actress yeah. too, to be honest yeah yeah we'll talk about rosemary shortly um, so I also thought this was interesting and did not know it. Um, the Dick Van Dyke show is one of the earliest shows to be filmed in front of a live studio audience, which then, of course, as we know, becomes kind of de rigueur for sitcoms soon after. Um, and I gotta say, there were times where the laughing was like too much for me. I was like, not everything this guy does is that funny. Like, well, I honestly. thought it would... Honestly, I thought it was a laugh track because most no. of the shows back then did have laugh tracks. And so I remember thinking while watching it and, uh, you know, we'll get to that later about when the Danny Thomas, when Danny Thomas enters and there's a bit, you know, applause as when right. a, a big actor comes on stage or whatever. And I thought, oh, they even got a track for that. <laughs> well, the thing is, with with live studio audience shows, they often 
<laughs> from having watched like DVD behind the scenes type things, they often edit the actual response to be what they want it. So if the laugh is too long, if it's too short, they'll, right. you know, if they want a, an applause, they can, you know, they'll get, they'll make it what they want it, even if it's not technically a laugh track. Well, that's yeah. an interesting idea, because even though it was filmed in front of a live audience, it doesn't mean that those were the sounds they used. They might have still stuck a laugh track on it. Or they, well, can, they can edit it through, like, yeah. you know, add I mean, more laughs into a place that might have been more dead air. Yeah, but the thing on Wikipedia said, and I don't remember the exact term, but it was like, this is one of the first times to use a live audience, but even so, they do goose the track. Yeah, like, they yeah. make it, you know, have a bit more of, like, oh, people are really laughing at this. Yeah, or like, yeah. You know, but also, it, people's sense of humor was stupider back then, too. <laughs> I just, I mean, truly, I don't mean to diminish um, Dick Van Dyke or anyone, but there were certain things where I was like, this is objectively just somebody doing something like I don't know why this is getting such raucous response um but again but it is also true and I'm not saying this in a patronizing way mom um <laughs> that tastes have changed and, tastes have changed definitely and expectations about things have changed so you know, I feel like back then it's like we can literally like look funny at the camera for two seconds and yeah. people are like, I've never seen that before. That's hilarious. Like, well, I think um, physical comedy was um, and it was certainly Dick Van Dyke's forte. It was a but type it was, of con you know, that kind of like and making the noises, making the faces, talking yeah. like Boris Karloff, I mean, like, you know, all that Jerry stuff. Lewis and all that oh, right. dumb God. shit, too. I don't think that would translate now. No, no, I, I agree. God knows. I agree. There's not as much uh, a physical comedy like that, no. Yeah. So the other thing uh, that I just wanted to say, because this kind of surprised me, again, based on, like, the longevity of this show, um... Apparently, the first season did not do as well as was expected. Um, and I think that's in part because when we talk about the cast, um, Dick Van Dyke was only mostly like a stage name when this started. Um, and so basically, uh, I forget if, which of the big three networks this was on, but they were like, we're going to cut this thing. Like, this just is not going to go anywhere. It's not performing. But for whatever reason, um, Procter & Gamble, who were the sponsor for the show, were like, no, no, we insist that you keep it on. Um, and so then there was a reshuffle where they put this show um, after the Beverly Hillbillies. And so the Beverly Hillbillies at the time was like the number one show on television. And it, that Speaking tells us. tastes change. I know. I was that like, that tells us. Oh, I'm sorry. That, that tells us hilarious. a lot. <laughs> okay, well, there we go. It was a yeah. really good show. And it had one of the great themes of all time. It's a really funny, don't make me sing it because I can't remember no, it right now. No, we're not. Um, <laughs> I want it to be clear that we are not making you sing it. And we're not letting you sing it. In, so. in fact, we are asking you, um, we are imploring you not Amy's to sing <laughs> Amy has now got duct tape out, and she's coming towards my mouth with it, just in case. Yeah, um, uh, I support that. But so basically... Things, wait a second, Sarah, before we move go on, ahead. I want to ask if maybe this turned up in your Wikipedia, and I don't think I'm confusing this with a different show, but I believe that there was a first season 
that didn't even star Dick Van Dyke that they had, and it was not popular, and they redid the whole cast and everything. It might have even starred Carl Reiner as the, and then they got, you know, a better family and made him, made him less, um, made him more funny and more lovable. Could I that didn't be see possible? that. I didn't see that in any of my research. What I did see is that the initial pilot for the show um, was written in a, like, maybe more serious register. Yeah. And it was called something like Father of right. the House. Right. And something. I think that had a different cast. That original pilot, I think, had a different cast. So it wasn't the se first season, but I think the original pilot might have been different. Uh, does it Let say me that? just double check. I am I'm pretty sure it's literally just the first pilot episode. Right. Um oh yeah, here it is. Um so it's the pilot was called Head of the Family. Yeah. Um and it's just one episode. Um and as you said, it has a different cast. Although the characters are the same. Yeah. Um, and yes, Carl Reiner plays the role of Robbie Petri. Um, and then all the characters are the same. So it's Robbie, Laura, Buddy, Sally, Richie. Um, but it's just different yeah. people in those roles. Um, and then the pilot was unsuccessful. Um, so it's just one episode. Right, okay. It's not, yep. um, a whole, like, a whole first season of Got anything. It. okay. So basically then it gets retooled mm -hmm. with Dick Van Dyke at yep. the center of the show. Um, but anyway, just to wrap everything up, basically, the first season is not performing as expected, even with Dick Van Dyke in the role, but, like, as I said, he wasn't really that big of a name, um, when this began. Uh, and so the Beverly Hillbillies lead-in was really important to keeping the thing alive. And then season two, as you would, as is often the case for many shows, season two is when it sort of hits its stride mm -hmm. um, and becomes the thing that certainly you remember and that has become kind of the beloved thing that it is. Yeah. Um, so let's talk now about this cast uh, because this, I, I think that's like probably the main thing that has kept the longevity is that they have really good people in the cast. So even when they're doing stupid rinky dink shit, um, it still is okay. Like, yeah. whereas if someone else were doing it, I probably wouldn't read quite as well. Yeah. Um, so the head of the whole thing is Rob Petrie, played by Dick Van Dyke, who was 38 when this particular episode aired. Um, and I just thought it was worth mentioning that um, he, as, as we have seen with many actors of this era, he served in the Air Force um, during World War II. Um, and early days he also was in an episode of Alfred Hitchcock Presents um but like I said he probably wouldn't have been necessarily the big star that we think of him now when we hear the Dick Van Dyke show um because at the time his big break only happened a year before um the Dick Van Dyke show took to the airwaves so Dick Van Dyke begins in 61 
Um, his big break role was that he was the star of Bye Bye Birdie the year before mm-hmm. on Broadway. Yeah. So, um, and I guess, I mean, I don't know. This is where I'm not totally sure because I wasn't alive. Like now someone can be a star on Broadway and no, and no one else has heard of them. Right? Like, yeah. But is that, but like back then, if you were a star on Broadway, would you have become a household name just from that? No, probably not. Okay. But, but producers and casting people from LA came to New York to look for people in Broadway. You know, Catherine Hepburn, many, many people who ended up to be big movie stars were sure. discovered on Broadway. Yeah. So yeah. they might not have been a household name in the, in the way that they become now in certain shows like if you if your show there's plenty plenty of very consistent broadway actors who nobody has any clue about right Um, right but if you're in the right show at the right time and you know you're in hamilton and you yeah (laughs) friends with manuel you know that type of stuff happens but uh and if he won if he won a tony clearly he was you know, being recognized in that community, so... Right. No, I'm not trying to, like, say he sucked. I'm just saying it, You were like, saying that he sucked. What I'm saying is it's interesting because now you say, oh, Dick Van Dyke, he's a big star, so that's why he had the, his show name, you know, like, you. but it's actu- it actually wouldn't have been like that at the time. Um, it would have been like, oh, he's this kind of likable guy you know he's got a good energy but I don't know him from anything most Americans wouldn't have known him from anything um and then in the midst of doing uh the Dick Van Dyke show he reprises the role he has in Bye Bye Birdie in the movie version of the same thing um and then I was remembering because I haven't seen that movie in quite a while uh he seems like a little bit more of a straight man in that than he is, he is. In, the sh- in Dick Van Dyke's show. He is a little bit because everyone else in that movie is crazy. <laughs> True. Um, because he's Is he playing, the record producer or something? Yeah, he's like, yeah, he's the record producer and he's playing Doesn't he's like, he's writing the song that, Yeah, he's writing, right? he's running, he's writing Birdie's last song. But you, then you've got Birdie, the character who's supposed to be kind of out there and like crazy rock and roll guy. You've got the dad of Kim McAfee who's played by a, oh, that Paul Lynch. Yeah, oh my God. that guy, Hilarious. and he's very funny yeah. and, like, kooky. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I would say that Dick Van Dyke was relatively the straight man in that, but he got to do, like, his physical stuff by doing, like, the dancing and things sure. like that. Yeah, so obvious. So then, like, this show, once we get into season two of this show, clearly this launches him onto his pathway to fame because... Bye Bye Birdie is 63, then he's in Mary Poppins in 64, um, then Mm. he's in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang in 1968. Um, So he has this big kind of run of stuff throughout the 60s. Um, And then he, I had never heard of this. Did you know that there was a new Dick Van Dyke show, Mom, in the early 70s? I did not know that. No, I didn't. I can't speak to it, but probably it wasn't great. It um, really would it have been? You mean with him as Rob Petrie? I think. Or was so? he? It's something else. Maybe he was something else because or was he playing Dick Van Dyke. 
That's a good I don't question. Know. Yeah. Let's see what IMDb tells me because I was just like, I don't even know what this could possibly be. Right. Because Mary Tyler Moore certainly was not in it. And no, because you know, she was already she in already the Mary Tyler Moore show, show yeah. by then. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, oh, the Dick Van Dyke and Hope Lang play modern uh. married couple Dick and Jenny Preston who have comic misadventures raising their teenage daughter. Oh, I have a vague recollection of it. But see, in those years, I was in college and I was not watching TV anymore. I, you she know, was too cool. I, no, it was just that we didn't have, you know, kids she was too now high. have everything. Excuse me. Amy. <laughs> <laughs> but we didn't have TV. We, didn't, we weren't running around Don't worry, TV. Mom. The statute of limitations on smoking <laughs> weed in the 70s, I think, is like long up. Well, so, yeah, it's like yeah I now. think it just became, it was one of those things. We were grandfathered in as legal. Yeah. So, so basically, the 70s and 80s for Dick Van Dyke are an ebb time um, in his career. Uh, I, I, I don't think in a bad way necessarily, but I think probably he was doing, you know, like, why don't I just do a stage show? Why don't I just do whatever I feel like doing and nothing else? That was kind of his situation then. Then he hits on to a new thing um, in the early 90s, uh, which I think I have watched episodes of this before. It's called Diagnosis Murder. Yeah. Uh, I've heard a, of that, but I can't. I, did, it, I didn't watch it, so I don't know. Is it know. a procedural type yes. of show? Or, um, yes. And he plays and a I'm, serious person. I mean, he, it's I a drama, I think he right? plays... A cop? A, I, I think he plays a coroner or oh. some such... Um, I mean, he's serious, but, like, not that. It's, like, my impression of Diagnosis Murder is, like, it's on par with um, Murder, She Wrote. And it's, like, yes, there's people dropping oh. dead all the time, but it's light. I see. Okay. You know? Yeah. It's a fun <laughs> dropping of dead. Yeah. Uh, and then most murder. Yes. Uh, and then most recent... And that actually... I had no idea it ran for so long. It went from 93 to 2001. And then after 2001, I mean, he's quite old by then. I think he's born in 25, if I remember correctly. So he was like 75 by this point. So he starts slowing down considerably, which you would expect. Um, but he most recently appeared in Mary Poppins Returns as, uh, I think, one of the old bank guy got things Ooh, I again. I hate that part of that movie. And he just uh, did receive a Kennedy Center honor as well at... Uh, He's okay. something like 92 or 3, I think. You know, he's... Yeah. He, but he's still, you know, looking quite spry. And uh, I was happy he got an award like that, even though it so, took a long time for he, him to get it. But he certainly, I would say, his career merits that. Yeah. Next we have the character. And just to clarify, this is the order of characters as listed on IMDb. Um... Next, we have the character of Sally Rogers, who is played by the kind of um, chanteuse and actress Rosemary, mm -hmm. who was 40 when... What did you say? Chanteusin? I said chanteuse and actress. Chanteuse is a singer, Amy. Aside. Yeah. It's a French word, but, like, it's come into English, but apparently it didn't come into your it lexicon. Into, it did not. <laughs> um, and 
because I'm still like reckoning with being 40, is it just me or does Rosemary look like way older than me? Way and older. She's 40 when and I'm I, 40. When I saw this, that it said 40 and that Dick Van Dyke was 38 at the time, I thought, well, first of all, they they act they treat her like she's a lot older in terms of you know the, the oh, jokes yes. about yeah. her being single are right you know straight through all the time every well, show 40 was and being single at the time 40 and single was was old it was pretty was much you know like as if you went home and slept in a coffin or something because yeah and you should and like you should go home and sleep but p.s P- jokes on them i just said at the top of the show i would like to sleep in my own coffin so <laughs> fuck you <laughs> um That's well right. i mean i think also sarah we've talked about this in other ones where the the style of the time, the hairdo, yes, the, absolutely, the dress, yes. all is much more uh, that's severe yeah. and makes you look older. That's very true. But I will say this: if you take a look at Sally Rogers, and in you know, in those days, she would have been considered kind of frumpy, certainly compared to Mary Tyler Moore. But if you take a look at her, she's got a kick-ass figure. Oh no, she's, she's oh, super skinny. She's, she's super skinny, and when they dress her up heels. in different. And yeah. when they dress her up in different episodes and they put her in a f- nice dress and stuff, you're like, oh, she looks like her definitely neck down. She looks great. Neck yeah. up. There are some troubles that is not just because of the styling, but the other thing we often forget, Amy, is how much sun and smoking people were yeah, getting. Yeah, that's true. Like, that's true. so you, get, you just get incredible amounts of like wrinkles and like, you know, um, but Plus, also she'd been working since she was five years old. So. No, she had been, she had been working. She was 40 in this. She had been working for 37 years yeah. at this point because she began as a child singer in the late 1920s. And her na- professional name back then was baby Rosemary. Right. Right. Um, and in fact, what I discovered, they named her Rosemary on this show. It was just, she, as she, that's her well, name. Now that she's 40, they call oh, her. Oh, just the, ca- plain the old character Rosemary. is Sally. I, can't yes, mm-hmm. yes. Wait, her name is Rose. Wait, uh, okay. She's her like Madonna. Rosemary. Oh, okay. No, her I full name, it, like she is like Madonna. Her full name is Rosemary something, something Italian, whatever. And then, um, <laughs> that's a good name. Yeah, uh, but her, oh, I should have said it correctly. Rosemary something something Italian. Like, that's what her last name was. Um, but so then they just called her Baby Rosemary, and then when she became an adult, she just was Rosemary. And um, as you can imagine, try to imagine the type of child star she was in vaudeville was similar to the one who's in uh, Gypsy. She would have been. I was going to say, did they write the baby show Gypsy June about her? Was yeah. Baby June, and also the character from Whatever Happened to Baby Jane? What? Yes. You know that type. Of what? What was portrayed? How Betty Davis was when she was a child star. Um, yeah. So it was. She was very precocious. She was, um, you know, able to sing and dance when she was very tiny, and so you know her parents shoved her out there and probably made a bunch of money off of her. And in particular, what she was known for was that even as a small little girl, she had a belting style. So she was mm-hmm. like, Chris, when you see those old clips of Christina Aguilera, she was like that. Uh-huh, um, right. Where you see this tiny little thing who's like, ha, 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 I'm doing it. You know, like that was her yeah. thing. And she um, probably sang songs that were not appropriate to her age. You know probably. What I mean? well, probably. What, what, like, 
what song is appropriate for a three year old? I don't think she was going out there singing the wheels on the bus. <laughs> I, here's so I here's what's what, Amy. I don't even think they had buses back then to even <laughs> sing that song about. No, the what wheel happened? hadn't been invented. That was the problem. Um, so. But no, so she so by the time she was five, she had her own radio program. Um, and she was on vaudeville, and be, she was beloved. I had no idea yeah. of this. So she was super-duper popular. She performed for three presidents, Calvin Coolidge, Herbert Hoover, and Franklin D. Roosevelt. Um, Jimmy Durante was her mentor. And I do remember there's a – I forget which episode it is, it is but Sally does – yeah. A, like homage to Jimmy Durante and she does yeah. his voice and it's really wild how well she does it. I know, I remember um, that too. Does she ever sing on the show? If she's the yes. Singer? yes, yes, of course she did because as I told you earlier today actually, they loved to do a show within the show where it was mm -hmm. all of a sudden, hey, we've got to put on a benefit for this yeah. or and we need an no, extra no, no. act on the Ellen But mom, show. You, mom, you didn't say it right. You have to oh. say it like this, like Hey kids, we right. gotta get together. Like, and they called adults kids. That was yeah. like the thing of it. Yeah. Um, or hey gang, like right. that's. Um, but so because of this, she actually knew Maury Amsterdam, who is the guy who plays Buddy Sorrell. She knew him since she was nine years old. That's funny. I did not know that. Um, and he wrote sense. jokes. He wrote jokes for her. Um, huh. And in fact, she suggested that he be cast as Buddy Sorrell when mm. they were doing all of this. Um, so, and also let's face it, like the fact that by the time she's 40, she's still alive, uh, based on how being a child at performer was in this time, like good for her, I say, right. um, she's, she's probably one of the examples, a few of that era that actually like her life didn't fall apart. Um, Maybe or at least we, good we don't see it. Maybe she um, had good parents that were really stuck by her side and yeah. watched out for that stuff. I think as well for her, part of the reason that she was maybe able to get to this point to be on the Dick Van Dyke show is like, whereas many child stars, like once they become teens and young adults, like their whole thing is over, basically. Mm -hmm. um, in her case, it seemed like she kept a steady, if less active career mm -hmm. going through her teens and early adulthood because she was a singer and she yeah. could still sing. And so right. she was doing like nightclub acts and all kinds of things. Um, Maybe going to school or something? I don't know. Um, it did not mention that anywhere. Um, but in fact, by the time she gets this gig on the Dick Van Dyke show, this helps her have a big resurgence because people had kind of forgotten about her. Um, and she, though she does have some credits on IMDb starting in like 33, 34, she doesn't really start kind of returning to the screen until the mid fifties. Um, and then as a result of being on Dick Van Dyke, that turns into a, for, then for the rest of her life, she makes, well, as long as she wants to be out in public, I should say. Um, she makes regular TV appearances, and she apparently was a regular on Hollywood Squares. Oh, yeah, I guess she was, now that I think about it. And one uh, last little tidbit about her, uh, since she started out as Baby Rosemary, another um, trademark she had was, you know, that little bow she wore on the I side I thought that was, hair. yeah, I that didn't was, like that as an adult no, lady. No, but she no, never stopped terrible. wearing it. Oh, that's not she good. never stopped I wearing know. it, even as she and and in any outfit, any anything, she always had that little bow. 
on the side. And so, yeah. Yeah. Not a fan. No, nor I, but you know, what can you do? Um, the next character is Buddy Sorrell played by Maury Amsterdam, who was 55 at the time of release. Um, he, uh, was similarly to Rosemary, a vaudeville star, um, and he, like, his backstory sounds a bit like, um, how things used to be in the olden days where, like, everybody in the family's got a job and Mm -hmm. our family is in show business, so you're gonna do show business. Like, that's Uh what your, that's your job. And so he started working in vaudeville when he was only 14, um, and as a result, he wrote jokes for Fanny Bryce and Jimmy Durante. Uh-huh. Um, and his moniker, whenever I looked up anything about him, he is known as the human joke machine. Mm. Um, because supposedly he can make a joke about anything. That was his whole shtick. Um, and it sounded like he might have also had a very kind of, um, I don't know if it's photographic if you've not written it down, but like he could remember every joke yeah. he'd been told or written or heard or, you know, like, so he could just like seemingly come up with anything. Yeah. Um, and so he too, like Rosemary, had a series of different radio shows before moving to television. Um, and his career also seems to follow similarly to Rosemary's trajectory where he doesn't really start showing up on IMDb until the late 1950s. Um, and then he gets this gig and then he too starts having, you know, like I'll show up on variety shows and I'll do this thing. And I think he also was on Hollywood squares now and again. Um, so that's his deal. Um, the other person who rounds out the typical cast is of course, Laura Petrie, Rob Petrie's, um, I'm going to say long suffering wife. Um, because when I watched this, I was like, I know Rob's supposed to be like a good 1950s husband, but I hate this guy. Really? Um, oh, he was... when he's like telling her, make me my breakfast, well, do it now. Like, <laughs> he didn't come on. say it like that. Uh, I don't remember. Well, we'll like when we get to it, we'll discuss all right, it. All right. But, um, so this of course is played by Mary Tyler Moore, who was 27 uh, when this particular episode aired. Um, and she was quite sim. She, Mary Tyler Moore, was actually had some similarities to Laura Petrie, which I think speaks to kind of the general sort of, um, like, inspired by real life events feel of the show as a whole. Um, because, so you might not have known this, but Laura is supposed to only be 17 when she meets Rob. Yeah, the, I mean, there in was the world definitely of the show. an age gap there, although it didn't seem to be a big deal. Um, and Mary Tyler Moore herself got married after graduating high school, so mm-hmm. very similar in that way. And she had one son named Richie, mm-hmm. Richard specifically. Yeah. Yeah. And Mary Tyler Moore began as a professional dancer, which is the career that Laura Petrie has when Rob meets her. Um, and... She trend, so Mary Tyler Moore transitions from dancing into acting again in the mid-1950s. And I wasn't sure if you maybe knew this show, Mom. Have you ever heard of Richard Diamond, Private Detective? I have, but you know what's funny? This is one of those things where it shows how memory can trick you. Because I didn't know if you'd have this in, the, um, in your notes here. 
But I was thinking of adding, well, you know, she used to play the receptionist on a detective show that I watched called 77 Sunset Strip, where you only saw her legs. And I would have sworn that that was the show she was on. But apparently, she it was now that I see it, Richard Diamond, Private Detective, which I don't think I watched that one, but I knew of her having started that way. And before yeah. that, I think she was in advertising. She was in some commercials, you know, stuff like that. And then she got on that show and and went from yeah. there. Yeah. So because because this dancing thing was like her way to get onto these things because everyone thought she had great legs. Right. So that's why she was on Richard Diamond Private Detective, where she plays an answering service girl, and you only see her, I guess, from the waist down or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um. And then similarly. And I know you know this, like when she wore pants on Dick Van Dyke, that was also a big old oh, deal yes. as oh, well. Oh, yes. It was considered way too sexy to do that. Pants? Pants. Because, you see, when... Because it showed your yes. butt. Yeah, yeah. Because that... And, you know, that's the thing from way back in history, the fashion of women with, like, bustles or big hoop skirts. It was all meant to hide. To hide your butt? Well, to hide, you know... Your shape in general. Your shape and the area where any sexual organs might be located it would be like oh she doesn't really exist below the waist because this there's this huge bell all around her we don't know what's there kind right. of a deal so, so yes the pants were were a big deal yeah yeah and so um as we've already alluded to mary tyler moore goes on to make her own show the mary tyler moore show which i think premieres in 1970 or 71 um and that's also when she makes Mary Tyler Moore Productions to do that show. Um, and the point there was to show somebody who is, or specifically to show a woman who doesn't have a family, um, but is still like, and she isn't married, but she's still like, surprise, got a life and she's happy and it's fun. Like, right. you can enjoy watching that. Um, but I was sad to see, I kind of knew this, but... Um, her life outside of her career was just sad. Like, from beginning to end, her childhood was sad. Um, and then uh, her son, her only son, accidentally killed himself with a gun in 1980. Yeah. Um, you know, so, like... And she had diabetes, very seriously. She had diabetes. She Which had I three different... If, well, she did manage. To, I, she did manage to make it. I think till she was eighty, mm -hmm. which is pretty good. Mm -hmm. um, but like you know, she had three husbands. All of them sounded bad. You know. Um, well, I think you know. I could be wrong, but I think that her marriage to Grant Tinker, which he was a big television producer and was involved in the making of the Mary Tyler Moore Show with her um, and MTM Produ Productions. Um, I always felt, or at least it was portrayed as a pretty successful and productive marriage, at least professionally and everything. And sure. he, was a, he was a handsome guy and stuff like that. So I'm hoping that she had some good years with him. They did get divorced. but And then, and then she had a boyfriend who was a doctor after that. I, did she marry him? Do you know? I don't her? remember. I just, I just remember like reading briefly her bio and being like, woof, that was... Not yeah, good. she she had some rough times, no doubt of that. But um, yeah, so yeah. let's save talking about Danny Thomas for when he appears yeah. in the show. Um, yeah. So let's now move on to talking about the show. So 
Um, Mom, you kind of already set this up before, but why don't you tell us about the opening scene? Okay, I will. One last quick little tidbit that I remember hearing, and actually from the horse's mouth of Dick Van Dyke, he's, he and um, Mary Tyler Moore were both alcoholics, and during the filming of this show, they were frequently drunk. Just FYI. Um, and he has said that publicly. Um, well, of course, because you have to be drunk to be funny. Doy, everyone knows that. <laughs> it helps with the physical comedy when you have to be tripping over the ottoman and things like that. Indeed. Um, and it doesn't hurt as bad when you fall. That's right. So, yes, the show opens. They are in their bedroom, in their twin beds, widely separated. They are, and Rob is up watching... Um, a late night movie, which often would be things like they might be called creature feature or science fiction theater or something like that. So he's apparently watching a science fiction movie, and I forget what the name of it is, something like Xylotron or something or other. Um, yeah, it's about xylophones. Yeah, um, but it's scary. And Laura is cowering under the covers and saying, oh, Rob turn it off, you know, and stuff like that. And he's liking, he's teasing her. She's a little her. insufferable, I'm not going to lie. She is or he is? She is. Well, you know, they both. It's her, lives. it's the whole shtick but of the show was, is that yeah, she does that. That was her, her deal. Um, so anyway, he's scaring her and she's not liking it because it's, she says she's going to have nightmares and, um, and so he keeps teasing her, and he's talking like Boris Karloff and all that kind of thing. So this is the shtick going on in their bedroom um, late at night. Right. And, like, to us, we've just described this. Um, the amount of laughter in these moments of, like, l barely anything happening, I couldn't believe. Because there's this one part where, like, Rob makes a face before he even starts talking in a scary voice. Mm -hmm. And people are like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Can you see that? And I was like, what? Like, he's he's literally, like, m kind of raising an eyebrow or something. Like, um, But you forgot the most important part. When Laura yeah. is like, I can't deal with this movie, he's like, I've got the perfect solution. And then he smothers her with a pillow. Oh, right, right, right. He puts the pillow over her head, supposedly to keep her from hearing it. But he's right. also covered her nose and mouth. <laughs> so. Right. So, you know, like, because abusing your wife is fun and funny mm. in 1963 or whatever year this is. Um, but then more to the point, so Laura's like, please, please, like, I can't deal with this. And then for whatever reason, Rob decides to explain the story of the movie to her. Um, and it, what he's explaining is that the movie begins with an average housewife opening a quote-unquote strange-looking walnut um, that then holds some sort of strange object inside. The Now, th I was not super clear on this. I think what he's saying is that the walnut then becomes the alien being Kolak. Something um, like that. I, I'm and, not sure. It doesn't super matter, but so Kolak, according to this movie as related by Rob, Kolak is an alien emissary from the planet Twilo, um, and Rob is describing Kolak, and then I think what it is is that Laura like looks at the TV, and 
she's like, oh, he looks like Danny Thomas. Right. And then that's another big laugh because back then Danny Thomas was a big star. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's Danny Thomas with a British accent, and that also right. got a laugh. And I was like, I don't, I don't, I don't know any of this. Um, Rob goes on to explain that Twilowites, which is to say the beings that come from the planet Twilo, um, have four eyes, two in front, two in back, and they breathe water. And then Rob does some various impressions of Kolak, and Laura does not care for that. Right. Um, all of this stuff that seemingly is apropos of nothing is important because it will it's setting up all the jokes for later. Yeah. That's why we need to have this. And this is, of course, the cold open. Because as soon as this is done, we go to a commercial break. Um, and then when we come back from break, we're back in the bedroom where... This I thought was weird. I was like, why don't they just get through this whole bedroom setup scene and then go to break? But I guess who I'm no writer, so I guess I don't know. Um, but basically, Rob then still does... I think what they were really doing is trying to wring more jokes out of this and um, specifically get Vic Van Dyke to do more physical comedy. Well, yes, um, and many of the stories that were used in this show that really, you know, didn't exactly hang together or make that much sense, such as this one, were ones so that his physical comedy talents could be employed. Right, right. And so, so that there's, was going on here. So there's a little bit more of that. Um, and Laura ultimately is like, I am so worked up over all of this stuff you've just told me. Um, I'm going to, we're going to bed now, turn off the television, we're going to bed. Uh, But also, I'm going to set the alarm clock for an hour from now so that if I end up having a nightmare, I'll wake up from it. Yeah, which I thought was a strange plan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, But of course, I mean, I think what's funny about, especially like, and this is across all genres. Shows from this earlier era often are like, we have to explain every single thing. Like, we yeah. can't leave any thread on, like, um, finished off at the end. Like, everything has to wrap back up. Um, because this alarm thing comes back later. Um, so then they both go to sleep. Yeah. Then... We see Rob enter the family living room the next day. He's ready for work. And Amy, what does he find on the floor? He finds walnuts on the floor. Yes. And he laughs and the audience laughs. And he, you're like, okay, great. And, and so, wait a second, one sec, Sarah. So yeah. earlier when, they, when he was telling her about the movie, he... Is it that the people from Twilo, these Twiloites, they only eat walnuts, right? So right. They only eat walnuts, and apparently they come from walnuts as well. Right. All right. And you said the thing about they breathe water. Yes. Okay. So Rob, like, laughs, and he's like, ah, Laura's, like, done a prank on me. Good for her. Um, so then he goes into the kitchen and he's like, way to go on that prank. And she's like, what prank? <laughs> um, and, of course, Rob is like, oh, you're really committing to this. I, 
he's a comedy writer, so he likes it. He's like, good job. Um, and then Richie comes in, and Laura gives him his lunch, and it's all walnuts. And so... I'd be pissed. If I'd you just so got pissed. walnuts as a lunch... <laughs> yeah, I would really be pissed. Because first of all, they're hard to open. I know, for a little kid, and he probably yeah. didn't even have a nutcracker in there. Yeah, for God's sakes. <laughs> but, like, let's face it. This Richie character in this show, his number one line is always like, Oh, boy! Like, yeah. it, that's all he says. And, 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 like, golly gee! Like he's, and he's always, like, jazzed about everything. Um, he is. And he's always on the verge of breaking because he's always smiling and laughing at his own jokes. And he, yeah. he was really not a good child actor, but he no. was lovable in his own way, you know. And he, yeah. even, he even, I think I've read things like that he has said that about himself, like that he really, you know, it wasn't his, his uh, you know, something that he was very serious about and that he was always you know, having fun and on the verge sure. of laughing in the show. Sure. I mean, he was hardly in it, so it doesn't really yeah. matter. Yeah. Um, so Richie goes off to school, and Rob is now like, okay, this joke has run its course. Mm -hmm. I don't like this. And this is where he's like, give me my breakfast. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, Excuse me? Did he say like, give me my I know at one point he's like, so you're really not going to give me breakfast? And she's like, I just offered to make you scrambled walnuts. <laughs> right. Well, no, because then she, she said I just offered and you acted like a dipshit. And then he's like, and then there's like a calming and she's like, oh, I can do fried, poached, or scrambled. And he's like, oh, then he's like, ah, now things are back to the way they're supposed to be, which is you're serving me, servant wife. <laughs> um, and... Then, of course, so then he's like, I forget which version he says, maybe scrambled. And then what, then what's the gag, Amy, when he says that? That she means, do you want fried, scrambled, or poached walnuts? Right, because she has a big, like, an egg cart, and then when she opens it, it's big old walnuts yeah. in there. And How everyone... would like to know what a scrambled walnut tastes like? <laughs> I think it just tastes the same. Or how you would do it. How you would scramble a walnut. Um, it's probably a walnut. It's just like, because since scrambled eggs is like all the bits mixed together, it's like just crushed walnut put into a pan. I guess. I guess. Yeah, ick. I, all I got to say about that is anybody who in that scenario asked for a poached egg could absolutely kiss my ass. <laughs> Because they are a little trickier. A little trickier. <laughs> They're not bad. Well, bad. and particularly in the context of I'm wearing a full suit at home. It's presumably 7.30 to 8 in the morning. Uh, we're all fully dressed. You're, and now I'm giving you my breakfast order so that I can go into the office. Like, now, gross. I'm, I'm going to speak up for the working man here for just a moment. Now, this, you might not expect me to do such a thing, but I will say, having been a woman who always worked outside of the home, there are parts of me that don't think it's such a bad gig to be married to a man who can afford to pay for everything and which is a nice house 
and nice clothes, and maybe she does scramble his eggs in the morning, and then he's gone, the kid's gone to school. Now, I think I'll have another cup of coffee and put my feet up and do this and that, and then- I thought she was supposed to clean the house all day, Later, though. Millie and I are going out to lunch, and I'll get the house cleaned, or by the way, my husband makes a nice living, I've got someone coming in to clean the house. I'm just saying, that's not my life, but there was a trade-off made in those days, and, to, and I'm sure there's marriages like that now, too, you know, where it's, it works for both people. And I think yeah. it worked for Laura Petrie. I think Petrie. there's pressure, though. Yeah, I think there's pressure as someone even who, quite frankly, works at home now, that when you're at home, you should be, like, doing stuff during the day, and there should be, like, something to show and for And what we do not know is just how medicated Laura Petrie was. Well, as um, I said, she was drunk most of the time. <laughs> but I haven't signed up to be told I've ordered poached eggs this morning no, get on to it no get guess it. what here's if i had a trade-off i would say here's what breakfast is <laughs> and it's yeah. a pile of garbage it's cereal <laughs> here's what breakfast is cold cereal get it yourself but <laughs> that's my trade-off but um I'm just saying, in that scenario, anyone who asks for a poached egg is an asshole. <laughs> that Correct. Is, well, at least he didn't act for, like, eggs benedict or something. But, <laughs> but you might as well if you're asking for No, he egg. may as well have. <laughs> um, but so, anyway, presumably without breakfast, because he leaves in a rage, right. he go, Rob goes to the office. She tucks um, one walnut in his pocket. I think yeah. that makes him even more mad. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he goes to the office and he's like, can you believe it? My wife, she like wouldn't let go of this prank. Um, and I certainly always know that when I'm in an office setting, what I love to hear, especially right off in the morning, is when my coworkers have marital complaints to share <laughs> with me. I love doing that in the office. Um so he's explaining all this stuff, and in the midst of it, Sally says, oh, yeah, 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 I know Kolak. And that gets a big laugh, um, and Rob is surprised, and she's like, well, I was at the UN when Kolak came. And so she's explaining, a, like, a part of the movie that Rob had said before. Oh, right. Um, and, well, she, she, and this is, like, the camera's mostly on Rosemary and Dick Van Dyke doing this back and forth, and I guess what's funny is that Sally is very blasé about the whole thing, and mm -hmm. people are just laughing it up. Uh, meanwhile, Buddy starts chomping down on some walnuts. Uh, Rob does not enjoy that. Um, and he's, like, harassing Buddy about where the walnuts came from. Um, and both... And asking if Laura called them. Right. Um, and then both Sally and Buddy are, like, very surprised by this reaction. And Rob's like, okay, well, fine, fine, fine. Let's just, like, get down to work. <laughs> I just <laughs> remembered, I remembered, like, a, actually an important feature of this Twyla White thing and Colac and stuff is that if, you, if they come around you or if they get you under their spell, you lose your sense of humor and you Correct. lose your thumbs. And yes. so as a comedy writer, Rob is very concerned about this. And so he keeps checking about does he have his thumbs. And yes. then he's trying to uh, start writing 
um, so that he can make sure he still has his sense of humor as well. Right. So I also enjoy that in this, I mean, it just shows how much an office has changed. This office has one desk uh, and one typewriter for three Mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. Um, And Rob sits down and there's meant to start working. And I forget if he suggests, he's like, oh, let's do like a boy-girl number or something. And like, well, that'll that'll be tough because our two guests are men. Like, how can we do a boy-girl number? And Rob's like, what do you mean? Who's our guest this week? And who is the guest? Danny Thomas. Right. Intriguing how it's Danny Thomas. And he just mentioned Danny Thomas last night. Um, Then Rob opens his desk drawer. It's full of walnuts. Um, He gets really upset. Sally and Buddy start laughing in a kind of robotronic way. Um, And that's when Buddy's like, Rob, why aren't you laughing? This is funny. Have you lost your sense of humor? Ooh. Oh no, he's perhaps a Twiloite and he doesn't even know. Then so he checks his thumbs. He still has his thumbs at this point. Yes. Then Mel comes in. Mel is a series regular who's like the straight man. Isn't he meant to be like Alan's brother? Or I th- that's so interesting. You or brother-in-law. Brother-in-law. But let me. I. I. Now that I think about it, we should have talked about this actor. Um, Mel Cooley is the character he plays here in the Dick Van Dyke Show. But he was also a very funny and wonderful character on Leave It to Beaver, where he played oh, Fred Rutherford, father of Lumpy Rutherford, um, and. So in both Was he also in The Rifleman? What? No, he was not (laughs) in The Rifleman. (laughs) He wasn't in The Rifleman. Um, But in both places, he plays, like Sarah said, kind of a straight man and a kind of a pompous, upright, you know, don't mess around with me. And so in The Dick Van Dyke Show, he and Buddy hate each other because Buddy is always cracking jokes about him, especially about him being bald. Yes. And he does it constantly, so Mel hates him. And um, so, anyway, yeah, he is Alan Brady's brother-in-law. I had forgotten that part about it. But anyway. And the actor's name is Richard Deacon. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you. And I'm sure he had many, many other credits, but those are the two things that I really enjoyed him as, was Fred Rutherford and Mel Cooley. (laughs) So Mel comes in, and he is you know, being serious as per usual. And Rob is like, Sally and Buddy are tricking me. Who's the guest this week? And Mel's like, Danny Thomas, you know that. And Rob is like, if he had a set of papers, he would throw them on the ground, like in frustration. Like, what do you mean? So you're in on the joke. And Mel's like, I don't know what joke. And I mean, I this is where Buddy would say something like, he's never in on a joke. Like, right. Yeah. Um, or he, or he is the butt of the joke, you know, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but Mel's, Mel is serious. He's like, what are you saying? Like, I don't know. But then, um, Mel's like, okay, Rob, you're like really, really worked up. How about you take two walnuts and drink a glass of air and tell me how things are going? <laughs> um, to which Rob does not like it. No. Uh, because, uh, so Again, Twiloites breathe water and drink air. So that's why it's like two walnuts and a glass of air is like two aspirin and a glass of water. 
for right. us humans. And then Mel and Buddy walk out with their arms around each other, which... Oh, yeah, that's right. So Rob that should... looks aghast because he knows, yeah. wait a minute, they hate each other. This would never happen. What is going right. on? So this just right. adds to the whole air of surreality, if there is such a thing yes. as that. So then there's another commercial break, and when we come back, Rob is sitting alone in the office, and he's, like, talking himself through what perhaps is happening um and what's interesting about this is he has three possibilities that this is an ongoing prank presumably orchestrated by laura as the kind of main person that it's a nightmare or that it's real now what i find interesting about this is he does not consider that he could be having a psychotic break <laughs> no no, he doesn't. Um, which just shows that he's a middle-aged white guy in the 1960s. He's like, oh, no, no, this is all external. It's nothing to do it's, with me. It couldn't be me. Um, so then he finally, I forget exactly why, but he goes into the walnut that Laura had put in his pocket earlier in the day, and he opens it, and it reveals this, like, shiny, fuzzy ball inside. Um... And so he gets even more freaked out and he decides that he must be dreaming. So he calls up Laura at home. And Amy, do you remember what he asks Laura to do when he calls her up? Yeah, I didn't, but I'm reading, <laughs> I'm reading the outline and he calls her to, to check to see if he's awake by having her go and check and see if he's sleeping in his bed. Correct. And if he um, is, wake me up. <laughs> right. And this, again, gets this wild laughter, uproarious laughter from the crowd. Um, and then Laura's like, I don't know what you're talking about, and just hangs up. Which he also finds very unusual, because Laura doesn't hang up on him. Um, so Rob's like, well, I'm just going to focus on some work. That's the way to get through this. Some ominous music starts playing, and then Mom, who comes creeping through the door? In comes Danny Thomas, dressed up like a British swell of some sort, and he's yes. sauntering in. Um, and now, then, as and no, I just wanted I want to act the way the audience acted when this happened. Even though you guys don't recognize that name, of course you know his daughter Marlo. You know of Marlo Thomas, and this is her father. And and those wait days, is Marlo Thomas free to be you and me? Yes. Okay. And then married Phil Donahue. Do you guys not know who Marlo Thomas is? Am I seeing? I'm seeing disbelief on Amy's face. Not disbelief. I'm trying to place her in my head. Well, I just said she she's the one who made free to be you and me. That's how I, I know, know I mean, her. And she also was a, uh, a pioneer in television sitcoms, too, because she played a single career woman. Was she that girl? That girl. She played that girl. Was she, and so and that she was the mom of Rachel on Friends. Yeah. That one? Oh, Wait, yeah. She does she do play, that. Did she play the mom of Rachel on Friends? Okay. I'm asking you. I if it was Marlo Thomas, then that's her. Thing. I think maybe you're right. Like but anyway, Danny Thomas was a huge star at that time as well. I don't know if his yeah. show was also on. It was still on. So wait, I need to go back to my notes about him. So um, he's 51 in this. 
Um, and this was running simultaneously with the Danny Thomas show. Okay. Um, and the Danny Thomas show, from the description that I read, sounded very similar to Dick Van Dyke, where it's about, you know, um, but in this case, Danny Thomas is supposed to be a nightclub singer mm-hmm. in that show. But it's all about, like, foibles at work, foibles at home. Right. Um, but... What I thought was interesting is so the Danny Thomas show ran from 1953 to 1964. Oh, and that had a long run, didn't it? Indeed. And, and yet, that's what I think is so interesting, which is I've never heard of the Danny Thomas show, right. and I've never heard of Danny Thomas. And, this, and presumably, that was like, at the time, probably someone would have said, oh, this is a show that'll go on. Everyone will know yes. this. Yes. But in fact, um, it's not been that case. Um, I wonder why and I, it didn't get syndicated like that. If it was just... I don't know. If it was... It didn't well, Was have, it a variety show? No, it was a sitcom. And it was a family sitcom. Um, I didn't remember that he was a singer like that. But what I do remember is that one of his daughters was played by Angela Cartwright, who was the sister of Veronica Cartwright, who you have seen in some other of your movies. The bug-eyed oh, bug-eyed yeah, yeah, lady. Yeah. Bug-eyed yes, lady. I know exactly. Yes. We and have I think we've even mentioned her sister before as yeah. well because she was a child. She was a child uh, actor. And she was also in the movie of The Sound oh, of Music. Oh, that I was thinking of a different bug eyed. Oh lady, yes, the girl yes, she was in Brigida. Uh yes. And she was, she in, was Lost in Space. She was in Lost in Space. Yeah. That's right. Um so we have talked about her before. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. At one point, that Danny Thomas show maybe in like some kind of reruns. At one point, it was ca- it was called "Make Room for Daddy," yeah. you know. Yeah. And I don't like, don't that. like, I like it. Either. Don't like that. <laughs> I know. Um, so anyway, he was a big star. So when he walks on, they have what I when I first heard it thought was like a laugh track type of thing. The audience bursts yeah. into applause. Oh look, it's Danny Thomas. You yes. know, playing. And himself. I also. I also wonder if, so this episode was in 1963, and the Danny Thomas show ended in 64, Mm. and so I wonder if this was like, almost like, Danny Thomas is going to guest, and maybe that will breathe some life back into his show. Mm, Good point. Like, I don't know. Um, But anyways, he shows up, it seems like he's super beloved, and I think then Rob says to him something like, Danny Thomas, and then the response from Danny Thomas is, "What's a Danny Thomas?" Yeah, and then everyone Kodak. laughs a whole bunch. Yeah, um, yes, because then Danny Thomas reveals that he is Kolak, and the reason that he's there is because now Rob is the only human being remaining on Earth, um, and of course Rob is not best pleased by that. And he tells Danny Thomas slash Kolak to leave, which he does. Um, but as he does, he starts throwing walnuts out behind him. And again, up to uproarious laughter and cheers. Um, and, and that's it. That's his cameo. People mm-hmm. seem to love it. Um, and it's after this moment that Rob starts looking around and he realizes he no longer has thumbs anymore okay Um, really quick about the thumb thing um this bothered me as a choice because (laughs) i feel like it could have been fixed easily and cheaply instead of 
getting some type of prosthetic to remove his thumb or a glove without a thumb or whatever. He clearly just tucked his thumbs behind his, Yes. you know. Because yes. there were other times you could see the thumb behind You could, there. yes. And that, for some reason, really bothered me because it's such an easy fix they could have done. Or even camera moves where it's like, don't show his thumb in that moment. Or also moments where Laura, if she's supposedly not... Right, she was be, even worse at it. She was yeah, bad Yeah, her at thumbs it. I straight up saw. And I, once I realized the thumb thing was such a big part of That's it. That's true, yeah. Like, because he's yeah. literally like... The minute he loses his thumbs is literally like you almost see him go like, I don't have a thumb. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah. You just did like a sight gag thing. I know. And this but he is literally. OK, pretend this you're is radio your we're doing, right? Is that yeah, it's radio. Okay, okay. This is that's on 95.7. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um. Hey, 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 don't change that dial. It is Sarah and the cool guys meeting day for drive time radio. It's you want to Friday. No work till Monday. Oh, yeah. Do you remember that song? They used to play that on all the radio stations in Amherst. Anyway. The <laughs> I never heard it. Oh, really? They played it on our bus all the time. So imagine someone was holding up their five fingers. And Correct. they, like, put down their thumb. Yes. That's yes. what it was like. No, that's exactly. But here's the thing, Amy. I think the point of it was to do it that way because it's this physic- physical comedy thing like people thought this was funny I like I just I mean it's fine it's whatever it's the choice that they made it's more to me like what we said at the top humor was so different that literally just putting your thumbs into your palms and pretending like you had no thumbs was like comic gold (laughs) like everyone just couldn't get enough of it and like him trying to hold a glass like that people just couldn't stop laughing really (laughs) (laughs) I mean in in some ways and in some ways I'll be honest it's um oh I just had a dark thought but like uh, in some ways it's it's precious right Right. life was was simple then yeah right and I mean and and then I had a dark thought that like led me down a really a hole in my mind real quick but um because like that's the type of America people want back. Right. That's I know. But see, but the thing is, as we know, as we've said, actually they were drunk. Actually nothing was real here. You know, no, I get it. But so yeah, there was a lot darker, but it was just it It was a fantasy. Sitcoms were fantasies. Right. Right. But there but people clearly had a simple mind. Well Yeah. yeah. Yes, we yeah. did think of things in more simple context. Yes, we didn't re- we didn't look beneath the surface of a lot of things. That's I th- I think I would say that. And also, yeah. I don't think did, did <laughs> I'd be curious when like dark humor came into. I mean, there's humor, always so been like, there's salt. always there's always been dark I mean, I humor. There's, always, there's been it, but like, when did that become sort of like? Because I, I would say in the sixties, the late sixties, or whenever. Like Mort Saul was a political. Uh, humorist as well as um, you know a stand-up comic, uh, but his, I think he actually died by suicide. To tell you the truth, I'm not positive about of that. Of course he did. Of yeah. course he did. No, but like literally, what this is is like you know when people do magic for like two-year-olds and they do the like look at my thumb is gone trick. Right, That's right. this. Yeah. That's what right. this is. It's, it's like literally the like the like 
boop doo doop. I can't even. I can't even. She's do doing it, it again, Sarah. She's <laughs> acting out. I know. I'm. I'm doing it too, and it's even more stupid I'm here because I'm alone. I'm alone in a room with my I'm, fingers, my thumbs behind my hands, being like, "Look, this is what people are doing." And it's like, know, "What I'm are really you doing?" Um. So anyway, this realization sends Rob into a panic, and then he screams to the air. I have to get home before the alarm goes off. And I was like, what does that have to do with anything? The alarm's going to go off either way. And the reason what why... alarm if he's just decided this is real life? And also, well, be, clearly because Laura set the alarm. It's gone off. Uh, an hour like, has gone past. No, it's only been 15 yeah. minutes. <laughs> um, but Showtime, no, because Laura, yeah. Laura set the alarm all the way back in the bedroom part but what I don't understand is like the the reason she did that was because to wake them up so what does it matter where he is when the alarm goes off but nonetheless he rushes home and we come back into the house it's the living room he's wandering around the house seems strangely empty he opens the closet door and then what happens this is the the pièce de résistance of all the jokes. Yeah, Laura comes rolling out of the closet on a big pool <laughs> or pile of walnuts. A landslide. And, yeah, then actually, quite quite frankly, that looked fun. <laughs> and can you imagine if you were drunk <laughs> while you were doing that? That would probably be killer. I mean, and she it comes seems... out and she kind of like poses at the she end does. with like her little foot oh, up. Oh, I know. And she yeah, got, that, no, it, that was one of her. Moves. It seems like a very old timey version of a ball pit, but it's walnuts instead. Um, but I have to assume rolling in on a thing of walnuts might be uncomfortable. But they might not be real walnuts, so yeah, probably not. There's some kind of prop walnut. So she rolls out and she reveals that she is now low lack of Twilo. She has been um, con uh, like converted or something. I don't totally get it. Um, and, but Rob is like, no, 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 no. You've got to wake me up. So he asks her to punch him, which she does very happily, which goes to show that perhaps she isn't so happy about making those poached eggs, is she? Um, yeah, she quite ready to there was There was no, the there was no hesitation when he asked her to punch him in the face. But like, well, see, that's Lolac. That's deal. not Laura. Mm, okay. Well, I just feel like it will make me sound bad and make me sound like there may be something wrong in my marriage. But if someone says, punch me, I, and they're giving you that, I'm not saying I would relish it. But well, if anyone else probably could do see it. the sparkle in your eyes I, and the huge <laughs> grin on your face... They might beg I to differ. I don't think I'd want to do it in the face, but I do <laughs> like to. I I do a punch to the gut is fun oh, to do. <laughs> <laughs> um. So this all transpires, and then Rob is freaking out, and we have the kind of moment that exists in all of shows where it's like revealed that it was all a dream. Because then Buddy, Sally, Mel. And Danny Thomas slash Kolak all like emerge from different parts of the house and they're all doing this weird robotronic laughing. And then uh, we transition back into the bedroom and Rob wakes up screaming. And isn't he also doing some more physical comedy here where like his arms and legs are like probably going up remember. and like the sheets look all crazy. Um, 
So he wakes up specifically, but probably, probably. Um, So he wakes up as the alarm clock is going off, just as Laura has planned. Um, And Rob is like, oh, I just had this terrible nightmare. And Laura's like, oh, yeah, I did too. So why didn't we ever see Laura's dream? Maybe in the next episode. I don't know. Basically, it's like, oh, we don't give a shit about the interior life of women. We want to see what Rob's dream is all about. Well, I mean, technically, it is called the Dick Van Dyke Show. She probably true. Her dream is on the Mary Tyler Moore Show. That's true. We have to wait 12 <laughs> years. We'll have to wait 12 years to see. It might be more than a walnut Mary Tyler Moore edition. Um, so then uh, they're both too scared to return to sleep, and so Rob... So Laura's like, well, what can we do? It's like still the middle of the night. And just to really get the last juice out of this gag, he says, well, we could always twiddle our thumbs, um, Uh which is natural, of course. And then it's like, okay, well, we're up. So like, let's see what's on late night television. And they have three options, a strange middle of the night exercise show. Which would have been Jack LaLanne. Probably. Um... And then there's something where it's like a bee face man, like it's a man where a whole colony of bees are hanging off of his face. Um, And then something called the werewolf from outer space. And don't worry, Amy, there are multiple science fiction movies of a more recent genre called werewolf from outer space, and we can talk about them sometime (laughs) in the future. Um, But then with those three options, so I guess you're right, Mom, there were three channels. Yeah, just then. about, just about. Um, but yeah, I also wondered... Also in the middle of the night. Yeah, I wondered if that was true, well, too, because it's supposed to be middle of the night. But also I thought the middle of the night, the TV's like... Well, test patterns stopped. would be on a lot of the channels. Yeah, a lot of stuff, did, a lot of channels didn't have anything if there, if there were. But notice that they never think of the option that I think would come to anyone's. Let's cuddle in one of these beds. We're both scared. They Why are twin mother-loving beds. Those are not meant for two adults. When you're adults. scared, you no. just want to be close. Push the beds together. Yeah, because, something. Like, I'm just, I'm just saying that would be the obvious choice. Also, like, listen. No offense, but that dream wasn't scary. <laughs> like, 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 off-putting, sure. Like, you hope it's not real. Fine, but like, you wake up and you're like, oh, phew, that wasn't real. Like, it's, yeah. And besides, there was someone in your house murdering you. Right. Right. And besides, in this 1960s family home, you're telling me you don't have like eight or nine different types of barbiturates that you can just take and conk yourself out. Come on, like, I don't believe that for a second. Um, But what they settle on is the exercise show, and then they start like kicking their legs up in bed to like uproarious applause and that's the end of the show. And then we get the good old, I do like this theme, theme song where it's like, and so like then that like plays us off and we're all like, ha ha ha, haven't we had a lovely 22 minutes or whatever the show. I looked at it a lot of times. Possibly one of the shortest things we've watched on this podcast and you still felt like it was too long it seems Amy not too long but I but I I got shit to do <laughs> yeah I like to know like where we're at well sure. somehow with the 22 minute thing we've talked for an hour and a half or something that often happens there's a lot to get through yeah. um 
But so, okay, so now let's turn our attention to the usual end of show moment, which is yawns and eye rolls. And mom will begin with you, and we, as always, we begin with yawns. So one yawn is, this was super entertaining, I wasn't bored at all. And 10 yawns is, I was deeply bored and wanted this to be over. What would you give this episode? I give it zero yawns because I love the Whoa. Dick Van Dyke show and I love Rob and Laura Patrick. Ever had a zero I was not, no. I wasn't bored. I loved revisiting this show and was not bored at all. Zero yawns. And Amy? Um, I'm going to go with like two. I wasn't sure. bored. It was short. That like I, I, I personally didn't want it to be a dream which I considered a little bit of a cop-out. I guess that's more of an eye-roll thing, but I, um, yeah, too. Yeah. I will give it a one just because it was, like, too short to be bored. Like, yeah, it just, it couldn't possibly have been because there was hardly anything to it. Um, so, okay, none of us were particularly bored but now comes the more important thing which is the eye roll category so one eye roll is like you know it's tv we're gonna do some stuff um and 10 eye rolls is like i just couldn't buy into this even one little bit mom um i'm gonna give it just a one because it was a sitcom from the early 60s and um this was the, the way they did things. And so, no, I don't have eye rolls for that. No. Okay. Um, Clearly she's biased. Uh, and that's, <laughs> that's true, too, obviously, obviously. I think you, I, in fairness, you did select this episode. It I was did. you. I did. It was guest's choice, and you chose this one. That is correct. Um, I think I'm going to say more like five, like right down the middle of eye rolls, because... Uh, again, I didn't want it to be a dream and be a cop-out. I yeah. know he couldn't have really been, as like, the whole alien thing, but I wish it was a little bit more inventive in what the resolution was. Yes, um, but I think in 1963 it would have been more. <laughs> that's <laughs> like, right. This was way, novel. Before, <laughs> way before they did it on Dallas and all the other shows since that have had, you know, Bob Newhart show and, and whoever oh, else has whole, used like, it. the whole, like, waking up from a yeah, dream Yeah, and saying that never yeah. happened, yeah. yeah. All right, fine. But I still give it a five because it was, like, come on with some of the stuff because of the poached eggs scenario alone. Beca and because of the thumb thing, you really... The thumb thing <laughs> drove me yeah. crazy. So, yeah, yeah that's five fair. for me. Yeah, I think I might agree with you, Amy, where it's, like, basically, it's just the same... It's fine. It's 100% fine. And... I'm giving it some credit because it's one of the earlier things that we've ever talked about of like yeah. some of this stuff would have felt cool and interesting at the time, but unfortunately time has passed. And so for us, it's like, well, of course he was dreaming the whole time, blah, yeah. you know? Um, and I will say like physical comedy just is like not really for me. It doesn't work for me. Um, in the same way that it does for other people. Like, I'm just like, can you stop doing that, like, weird, like, bubblegum mouth thing? I, I, need, I need you to continue. Bubblegum mouth thing? I'm not I sure I know it. what I that means. Not everyone likes that. And, yeah. and it was definitely uh, a big part of Dick Van Dyke's um, 
humor and talent because he really he he really is able to do a lot of stuff that other people can't do you know with his body was yeah. very loosey-goosey yeah. and all that kind of stuff yeah and I do think that this was a fun choice I because I don't think I'd ever seen this even though I've seen plenty of diff- different Dick Van Dyke episodes this one didn't ring any bells for me okay. so I enjoyed the seeing of it um but as I and always, sometime we're gonna do uh, the the alien episode of Hey Dude, which is from my era. <laughs> yes. Is there one from that? Yes, yeah, <laughs> there is. Um, but I guess what I always discover when I do this is when I'm watching something just for my own pleasure, I'm much less critical of it than when I'm watching it for this because I'm like, now I'm trying to like figure out what's going on or like what are we doing um if I were just watching this episode for myself I'd be like well that was a pleasant 24 minutes you know like yeah um whereas when I'm looking at it for the purpose of like okay what do I think about this and like whatever then it's like oh yeah I'm gonna hold some things to task a bit differently uh than otherwise so then the final question is to all of you um Actually, I don't think I need to ask this to mom, so I'll ask it to Amy specifically. Wait, uh, I wanted to answer. <laughs> we know the answer, which because the question is, did you like this and would you recommend it? And I assume, mom, your answer is yes and yes. Absolutely, and I would suggest that people look up the entire series. Of the, okay, okay, over it. <laughs> Watch all um, yeah. <laughs> Okay, we get it, we get it. Write a fan letter. Um, I... I liked it. I liked it fine. Um, and I, I like this show overall fine. Um, would I recommend it? I'd have to really know the person and know, like, if... Because a lot of people, like, and this sounds silly, but for some people, like, black and white yeah. makes it, like, prohibitive and they don't want to watch it. Yeah. Um, so I would have to really know the person and maybe their humor a little bit because it, it is it is dated. Yeah, for sure. If it was mom, if I was recommending it to mom, sure. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, P.S., like, when you said that fan letter thing, I was like, yeah, you know what Dick Van Dyke would love? A nice fan letter from a woman in her 70s. Like, he he would. <laughs> I'm young compared to him. He's like 93. That's true. That's true. Um, and wait a minute. I'd like to correct something. I'm 69. Thank you. Excuse you just me. called me a woman in my in my 70s, like I might be 78 or something. I'm sorry. I'll say in her late 60s. He Fine. would love it. Um, <laughs> no, I, I agree with you, Amy. It's funny, but like, yeah, the black and white thing is a stumbling block uh, for a lot of people. And so it would be that, I would yeah, that would be like the caveat onto any recommendation is if that's going to be a problem for you, then this is not the show for you. Um, that being said, like, I like some of their episodes more that are the ones that are, like, the show within the show a bit more. I think those are funny. Yeah, I would like that better um, than this. Like, so, yeah. And definitely, if you're just like, I just need something, like, that's not going to hang around and stay with me all day in some kind of weird way, any episode of this is that. Like, it sure, fills Sure, it's, like, it's like any other sitcom. It's good for the background. It's good where you don't have to, like, fully pay attention to get a, a gist. <laughs> Right. I like a show where you don't have to fully pay attention and you can get the basic gist. Amy likes a show yes. where she can be also scrolling through her phone for whatever reason, reading emails, yes. checking various social media things. And as and frankly, that's most people, Mom. I Just know. Just letting you know. I, so, I, 
I mean, I, 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 there's plenty of things I like that I like to pay attention to, but if it's like, con, if there's a convoluted plot, if there's a alien involved, if there's a spaceship involved, <laughs> like, it's hard to win Amy over on this show, Mom. I know. Um, I know. Well. I think we did a very successful roundup of this show. Thank you, Mom, for choosing it. And thank you, I'll just say your full name, that's Nancy Janelle, our mother who joined us today. I am Sarah Walsh, and of course, Amy Walsh joined us as well, as per usual. And um, it's been a rousing success. Uh, so It was really fun. Thank you very much for inviting me to be here because I had a lot of fun doing it, and it's always well, fun talking to here, my so two girls. Like... Yes. <laughs> so I said you were already kind of here. All right, you didn't I mean, have to go there, Amy. You could have just said, you're welcome, Mom. You're welcome, you're welcome Mom. <laughs> okay. Yes. Uh, so, as always, thank you for listening, and we will see you next week in space. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of See You Next Week in Space. This is a production by Amy and Sarah Walsh with artwork provided by Riley Brown. If you'd like to learn more about our show, please check us out at seeyounextweekinspace.com or follow us on Instagram at seeyounextweekinspace. Until the next one.